Let me pray with you for a moment as we look into God's Word. You know, Father, in a variety of ways, we've been seeking to worship you, to use some old school words from Scripture. We ascribe worship to you. We ascribe glory and strength to you. And we exalt you and we've been exalting you. We pray that you've been pleased as you've examined our hearts. And then through various expressions, whether it's singing or raising our hands or giving or being attentive as God's word was read, we have sought to ascribe worship to you. And now as we continue by inviting your spirit to speak to us through your word, we take this seriously because it's another act of worship. And we pray that it's just so much more than simple transfer of information, but it's, it's life-shaping and life-molding. And so we invite you to help us in this because we need help. I need help. And we pray these things now with anticipation. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I had a very busy week, worked a lot of long days, and, you know, good days, but tiring days. And yesterday was a fairly busy day as well. And uh, last night at 6.15, we hadn't made supper or anything like that yet. I looked out at the end of, you know, towards the end of the day, and I noticed that the lawn needed to be cut. And I kind of enjoyed doing that, but I was tired and the rationalizations began. You know, I can wait and do it on Monday, uh, but at the end, before I did anything else, I cut the lawn. And I did it for two reasons. The first one was, I knew that when I would be done cutting the lawn, because I've done it enough times and experienced enough life, I knew when I was done, I would be encouraged. And then it would literally give me an emotional and physical jump or whatever because it comes from just in life when we do a simple job that needs to be done. There's something uplifting about that. And second reason I did it is because I knew this morning I was going to be preaching from Proverbs on being lazy. So I figured I, figured I better put it into practice not put into practice what I preach or something like that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Found right in the middle of the Bible or on your device, if you would like to use your device. Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 to 7, which has been kind of this mainstay text we've been using as we've been moving through some of the Proverbs together. And I remind you that this series is called Sophia, which when you translate it from the Greek, which is meant to be, it means wisdom or the wisdom of God. God helping us to make proper application of knowledge. And Proverbs... There's all these statements. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs, and there's all these statements, and there's just, they're just short, and they're kind of punchy, full of God's wisdom, full of God's truth about the way things generally are. And, and I've kind of been encouraging you as we've gone through it, just take sizable chunks of it and meditate on those chunks and say, God, what do you have for me from these chunks? And so today we're going to talk about 
laziness. We're going to be reading from a main text. Let me read it to you now from Proverbs 13, verse 4. And it says, the sluggard, which is not a word we usually use, the sluggard, in the NLT it says, the lazy bones, the lazy bones craves and gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So I, I struggled with what to call this message. I considered calling it the sluggard, but I'm going, whoever uses that word anymore? I thought about using a little slumber, a little sleep. I thought about the path of least resistance, about living on autopilot. And finally, I settled on entropy. And I wasn't really happy with that one either, but I was just too lazy to work on it anymore. Do you know what anthropy is? Well, I'm clearly not a scientist. But anthropy, as I understand it, has to do the, with the idea of a closed system. And within that closed system, there's change that's ongoing. And the classic example of that is the universe. And the amount of energy available within that closed system diminishes over time and declines into disorder over time. And so we know that the universe is slowly but surely winding down. Everything has a tendency to deteriorate. And this is entropy. And whenever people become apathetic or complacent or settle for the path of least resistance, entropy is starting to creep into their life. And it's at that point in life that dreams begin to die. It's at that point in life a really terrible thing begins to happen, and that's that mediocrity becomes acceptable in your life. And we end up just tolerating things as they gradually decline. And Solomon, the writer of the Proverbs, has a lot to say about this. And he says, you really need to be on the lookout for those early signs of entropy so you can intervene. You need to be watching for the gathering clouds of laziness in your life. And so he says, for example, in Proverbs 27, 23, and 24, he says, be sure to know the condition. Just listen to how practical these Proverbs are. They're very practical. They're very, um, there's wonderful word pictures in them. He says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. I learned about this in my first church. I was a city boy. But in my first church, uh, half of them worked at this big power plant or coal mine. They were engineers and mechanics. And the other half were farmers. And when I would hang out with the farmers, they had farms and they had cattle in the area in Saskatchewan where I served. I watched them and I'd spend time with them. And every day they would go out and check their crops. And they would go out and check the condition of their herds. And they got to know them so well that whenever the slightest signs of problems or things beginning to diminish happened, they could notice it right away because they were so familiar and they could intervene and step in. And I would ride with them in the back of the, in the pickups or they would ride with them on the combine as they were doing a round or whatever, learning from them and watching them watch their crops, watch their herds so they could make sure that entropy 
wasn't setting in. You know, entropy can, can strike a church and the people within the church. Typically, if you know anything about how churches go, when a church launches, it's because God has put something into the hearts of a group of people to do. And they're very passionate, especially initially, about people outside of the family, outside of the family of God. And they know that Jesus wants to transform those individuals' lives. They see the hurting people all around them. They recognize from God that they need to be reached, to be prayed for, to be brought into the community of Christ, to help them grow in Christ. And God implants this vision and he empowers them. But over time, the temptation creeps in to become satisfied. And to go from living as the scriptures would picture it as sacrificing servants to viewing the church as a place where it's okay to be a consumer. And then they begin to argue or be preoccupied with things that might matter to a degree, but, but pale by comparison to the lost people, to the people outside the family, to the people that need to mature in their relationship with Christ. And Solomon is telling us, and we're going to begin to see, that entropy is never God's will for us in any part of our life. He wants us to grow into mature, serving disciples of Christ. Created to worship, like Solo was reminding of us of, that really the highest order and the highest calling of human life is to be a worshiper of the, worshiper of the Creator. To have that attitude of servanthood of the, the towel and the basin, of having an outward missional focus, of using our spiritual gifts, of giving sacrificially, of understanding not just in theory but in practice that lost people matter, that I need to be willing to sacrifice my way and the things I often prefer so that lost person can be pointed to Christ, so that other person can grow deeper in Christ. So Solomon says then in chapter 24, verses 30 to 32, he says this about the sluggard or the lazy bones. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment, Thorns have come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. So what did Solomon notice? That everyone receives a type of vineyard in life. That God expects and calls on and really demands us to use and manage well for his glory. And so everybody is given a gift or gifts. Everybody is given abilities, resources, potential relationships. And God expects us to use them, to utilize them, to maximize these opportunities. And he says, don't be crazy or foolish enough to try and do this on your own, which we often do. I want to partner with you on this, and we have the potential to keep together to create a thing of real beauty, a thing that has eternity stamped on it. And Solomon says, 
This guy that I observed in chapter 24, as I walked by his vineyard, this guy is laboring under a mistaken impression. He's been given this vineyard, which is this incredible blessing that everyone gets to one degree or another. And this, this fool thinks that a beautiful, productive vineyard is an accident waiting to happen. And because of this attitude, there's weeds everywhere in his vineyard. There's thorns. The walls are broken down. And he is literally throwing away the opportunity of a lifetime. And really what Solomon's saying, and I'm going to say it, let's just call it for what it is. It's the sin of laziness. It's not an oops, it's a sin of laziness. And so really Solomon's saying, hey buddy, hey Scott, what opportunities has God entrusted you with? Because when we neglect them, we're throwing away, we're minimizing, we're improperly using God's gift to us. There's a guy in, in my life, I'll call him Bill, not his name. And Bill's a pretty good guy. However, Bill, in all the time I've known him, is always discontent. Discontent with his job. I could have been so much more. And when he talks about it incessantly, once in a while I'll just kind of gently say to him, you know, you could do something about that. But there's always a reason and an always an excuse why Bill can't do it. That's too risky. That's too political. And he's had all these big dreams of what he ought to be, but he was too lazy or too scared to take the step. And over time, I've said to him once or twice, well, you know, maybe you need to talk to someone about this. Maybe, you know, here's a good Christian counselor you could talk to. Oh, that'll cost too much. The subtext is, is I don't want to bother investing because they're going to say things I'm uncomfortable with and don't really want to do. That'll take too much time. They wouldn't understand my situation. And here's the kicker. Eventually, and I see this sadly in a number of people, eventually Bill blames God for the condition of his personal vineyard. God hasn't treated me very fairly. What, is, what does Solomon say about that? Here's what Solomon says in chapter 12, verse 11. He who works his land, in other words, this vineyard that we've all been given to one degree or another, he who works his land will have abundant food. But he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. See, Solomon says it real blunt. Sometimes we have these fantasies like Bill has. Like I've had in my life. Like maybe you've had. You know, the perfect marriage or the perfect circle of friends or the perfect career or the perfect education. Solomon says, live in reality and work the land that God has entrusted you with. The place he's put you, the gifts, the resources, the opportunities, <coughs> the relationships he's given to you. And understand very clearly 
The elves are not going to come along at night and do it for you while you're asleep. And sadly, I come across people that think that's how it works. That the world or God owes them a perfect garden. If you know anything about Bible and about life, you know God doesn't owe us a thing. Now the thing that's an incredible mystery is even though we don't earn it and we've never deserved it, he, the thing that I, I can never get my head around this, he gives us everything. He owes us nothing, but he gives us everything in Christ. And this is one of the already and not yet moments of, of Scripture, the, this, this paradox that we have absolutely everything in Christ. He gives us everything, he holds nothing back, and yet there's always more of Jesus for us. And why he did that is a mind-boggler to me, but he did. And he expects us to use what he's put into our life for his glory, to be a worshiper, to develop it, and work hard with it. So Solomon goes on, and he keeps challenging us. And he says in chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? How long are you going to just chill, you lazy bones? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now, he's not saying it's wrong to have a nap or to get a healthy amount of rest. He's not talking about this. He's talking about people that are just kind of like professional lazy bones. And the idea that keeps surfacing as you're reading through the Psalms, if you study this theme throughout these 31 chapters, is that the slugger, the lazy bones, has an elaborate system to justify their inactivity. A little sleep, a little slumber, word pictures of passive inactivity. And the sluggard, the guy or woman that has this really down pat, they have bumper stickers made up. They get the t-shirts made up. I'll have to get to that. And this is how they live their life. I'll have to get to that. And Solomon says, when we have this attitude, poverty begins to come upon us in every part of life. Whether it's spiritual or relational or resource-based or whatever the case is. And, and Solomon, he's watching people and he says, wow, these lazy bones, these sluggards, they become extremely creative with excuses that they're trying to use to rationalize their inactivity. So he says, here, let me give you a few examples. Again, you just see how the Proverbs, they have these word pictures. So listen to the word pictures. Chapter 28, sorry, 26, verses 13 to 16. The sluggard, the lazy bones says, there's a lion in the road a fierce lion roaming the streets. It's too dangerous. I better just stay in and not even try because there might be some danger out there somewhere. There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, you know, and the idea is that it goes, 
and squeaks. As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on its bed. This person is sleeping so much, when they roll over, their body creaks like a squeaky old door. The sluggard buried, we, we referenced this verse in the very first one of these series a few weeks ago. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That's lazy. You put your hand down into the Doritos and just let it sit there. You don't even have the energy to bring it back to your mouth as you're sitting on the couch. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. And the sluggard, the one thing they really work hard at is being deeply committed to not doing it. Now, let me just say, as we're coming out of what we've been coming out of in the last, however long it's been, 30 months or something like that, it's possible you're a little depressed. Possible you're a little unmotivated or just downcast. There's just reams of people like that right now. This can be one of the reasons for that. Not the only reason for these things, but it definitely can be one of the reasons for that. The old expression, the less we do, the less we feel like doing. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I'm this, I'm that, but I'm not a lazy bones. I'm not a sluggard. And that's probably true about you. But sometimes we can really have what I might call selective entropy. We can be quite motivated, even borderline workaholics, in some areas of life that we think are important or whatever, but in some other selective areas that actually are pretty important. We just don't want to admit that. We just let them go to pot. And so, so Solomon says to the sluggard, whether it's kind of a way of life or if it's much more selective, here's what you need to do. He says, there's something you can do about this. And it's pretty simple. Watch the ants. That's what he says. Watch the ants. And so I did that. I knew I was going to be talking about this. And so I took some time to just sit there and watch ants. You ever done that? They are going concerns, those little guys. Simple little creatures, going concerns. And here's what Solomon says. He says in verse chapter 6, 6 to 8, he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Sit down and watch them. See how they, how they function, scurrying around. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at the harvest. So Solomon is watching the ants, and, and I did this as well. And the thing you begin to notice they don't seem to need any external motivation. There's no guy standing there with the white hat on, poking and prodding them and say, get to work, Mr. Ant. They seem to have this internal motivation that I would argue has been put in them by God. And the ant knows that if I'm waiting for someone else to get my life in shape, 
If I expect my boss, my spouse, my friend, my teacher to make me do the right thing, I'm in big trouble. Yeah, they'll encourage me, and and I think that's the role of of a spouse or a boss or a teacher or a friend. They'll support us, but at the end of the day, they can't do it for us. And the ant seems to get this, and I'm going to suggest, because that's exactly how God created them. They understand in their own simple little way the vineyard they've been given, the life they've been given, the gifts, the opportunities, the resources they've been given. And the scripture, it says this in multiple places. We are accountable for all of those things to God. And in some ways to other people, but also responsible for our own life. And God says, I'm giving you this vineyard, Scott. I'm entrusting you with it. And one day you will answer to me for how you've used it or not used it. We also kind of answer to ourselves as well. And it also says in Scripture, when someone has it rough, and and people often have it rough, I've come across quite a few people in the last few weeks especially that have it really rough. And it's not, it certainly appears on the surface, it wasn't their issues. They were, you know, kind of forced on them. And, And as believers were called on to help, to have a generosity Um, but not to do everything for them. And so there's this call to be generous coupled with the call to be wise. And, And I understand if it's a crisis, which there's been a couple of those with people, you really have to get in there and really help them do a lot of things. The crisis usually is short term and you begin to feather that out. And you say as you're doing it, God, wow, I need help about how I am to help them. Lord, would you give me the wisdom that is being talked about all over the place in the Proverbs, that's talked about in the book of James, everywhere. It's just said that you're willing to give wisdom. Would you help me know what I should do, what generosity should look like here, what a healthy partnership should look like? Would you help me know if I should even help this person? And certainly, the very worst thing we can often do for people is to do everything for them. Very unwise, typically. And so, Lord, would you help me give me the means and the wisdom with your help to let them take responsibility for their life? You know, the next thing I noticed about the ants, and it says this in chapter 6, is the law of opportunity. Uh, The passage says in chapter 6, it's summertime, and so the ants are busy storing provisions for the coming winter. And Solomon says, look at the ant. They get time. They understand that if it's pouring rain or there's winter there or if there's predators about, they need to get busy doing something else or work in a different area. But when the opportunity presents itself, get to work. So Lord, I know this is the right thing to do, but is this the right time to do it? This stuff sounds so simple, but we often violate this stuff. And we forget to say, God, 
yeah, I get that you want me to do this, but when exactly do you want me to do it? And we forget that we can't overcome entropy in our own strength, that we will just diminish if we're trying to do it all on our own. And so God says, ask me and I'll help. He says, remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about the fear of the Lord. In other words, a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, a sense of deep-seated respect. When I have those things first in this relationship with God, then he begins to lead me. The beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is where it all starts. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so we begin by admitting that we need his help, that we know he knows. And perhaps he puts his finger on areas in our life where we've been lazy or negligent, and we say, Lord, would you forgive me for those sinful choices? And when he calls us to do something, he enables us. And the first thing he does is he addresses our motivation. Who are you really doing this for? And Paul in Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, do your best, he's saying, as working for the Lord, not for men. Now, most of us in here have a human boss of some sort. But whether you have a human boss or not, ultimately, every single person, Paul is saying, reports to God. We will make an account to God. And really the invitation here is, you know, Scott, you better put your shoulder to the wheel. To say, Lord, I long to glorify you in what I'm doing. I'm doing it for you. Therefore, I will pursue excellence. Therefore, I will do my very best in your strength, in whatever this activity is you've given to me, whether it's at work, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in my serve at the church, I will do my very best. Finances, whatever. And I will seek to do my father's business with enthusiasm. I will seek to be like one of his little worker ants. You know, a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine, he's been a friend for 40 years, and he had some really hard stuff happen to him. And the big dream in his life was crushed. And probably a little bit of it was his fault. I don't really know. But it seemed like a lot of it was perpetrated from outside forces. And he asked me to pray for him. He was standing right here beside me just off my left shoulder. And I said, what do you want me to pray? And here's what he said. He said, would you pray that God would give me fresh dreams? Think about that. Fresh dreams. You know, the temptation when you go through a tough time is to kind of turtle and almost give up. And this guy's going, yeah, this was unfair what happened. But give me fresh dreams, God. And it was my honor to pray for him. Guys, there is a joy, there is an incredibly healthy satisfaction from serving and working like that. This is the path, not of the fool, but of the wise person.